Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to John chapter 10. The text will be taken from a portion of this chapter. I'll ask you to extend me a little bit of pardon as I again will be reading from the New American Standard Translation. Uh, It's just because I've been using it since I was in college that it's somewhat difficult to to make a transition, so uh, bear with me. Uh, It's still the Word of God and I believe a faithful translation. Beginning at verse 22 of John chapter 10. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple of the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Well, before I get to the text, let me just answer uh, one simple question, and that is why uh, I would be coming to this particular text. Why am I preaching from this passage? Well, there's actually a background to that, and it, it goes back to the beginning of this year in the early part of January. I was asked to go to a, a sister church of ours in the western part of the United States in order to perform a funeral. And at that funeral, I was asked to preach from this passage. It's actually a very good passage to bring out at funerals or Thanksgiving services because it has the clear gospel. And many who were going to be at that particular service, as in many cases, needed to hear the gospel in light of the reality that was standing right before us of death and its intrusion into this world. But there's another reason why this particular passage is appropriate for those kinds of services, and it's because of the Old Testament background for the imagery that Jesus uses in this particular passage. Many part of that uh, background we've heard already, but another part is there in Psalm 23, and that verse which is commonly referred to when we speak of the shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And that's, again, why kind of the, the text kind of went in that direction. And having studied that, I thought this would be a helpful and appropriate text to address here this morning. Not just because of the reality of death, but more, like, more because of the reality of David's confidence. One of the most interesting things I find in Psalm 23 is that Psalm 23 is entirely statements of confidence. There's no requests made in the psalm. There's no doubts stated in the psalm. There's no lamenting in the psalm. There's nothing uncertain. It's merely, it's completely, should say, statements of David's confidence 
from the very first line, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, Jesus takes that imagery to himself, doesn't he, as we have already seen here in, in John chapter 10, and I would like for us to look at it. My desire is that by looking at Jesus' words today, we who have not just the shadows of the Old Testament, but the fulfillment of it in Jesus Christ, will be able to have the same kind of certainty and confidence in our Savior that David had in his shepherd, the Lord. So as, we, as I come to this text this morning, very uh, simple, I have uh, four basic points. I'll have a brief introduction and background. That's not one of the points. But then I'll have, we'll look at the picture of true Christianity, the gift of true salvation, the assurance of true security, and the guarantee of true divinity. So let's begin by looking just at a few notes of background information, and that's found in verses 22 through 26. In verses 22 and 23, we see something of the time. It was at one of the feasts, it was during the winter, and he's standing in the the portico, the covered walkway uh, called the portico of Solomon there at the temple. In verse 24, more particularly, we see the audience to whom he's speaking. And it says that the Jews gathered around him. So he's speaking to the Jewish people who were there. But in particular, Jewish people who had heard his words. And as we go back, the whole section really begins back in chapter 9, where they had seen him heal the blind man. And so they are Jews who have heard his words and they have heard, so they have seen his great miracles. And yet, these are Jews who do not believe. Notice it says, the Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. In other words, prove to us that you are who you say you are by our standards. People do that all the time, don't they? I'll believe, but you've got to do it in my way. And so Jesus has addressed them. And similarly, he's just said, you know, unless you see wonders, you won't believe. These people just will not believe. So he's speaking to unbelieving Jews. In verses 25 and 26, their unbelief is exposed. And the reason for it is stated, they are not my sheep. Well, now let's come to our text more explicitly as we come to verse 27. The picture of true Christianity. I think it's probably true to say that it's, it's true around the world, but it certainly is in America. If you ask people, what is a Christian? You'll get a lot of different answers. But we're coming and we're going to ask of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is a true Christian? And he gives us that in a picture a picture of a true Christian who is a sincere believer. He illustrates it very simply and very clearly. You know it better than I do because I've been driving around, uh, I went driving around Donegal yesterday with uh, Pastor uh, Mark Lockridge and I've been around this area a number of times. You know about sheep. In New Jersey, there's one place I drive by and they have two sheep. 
Right? So you, but you understand something of sheep, and sheep have shepherds, and that's the picture. The picture is that of a shepherd and sheep. And just it's very, it's very clear right there where he says um, in ver- that he is the good shepherd. Verse 11 and verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. This whole section is, is all about sheep and shepherds. Shepherds who come to direct, to comfort, to discipline, to heal, to feed sheep. So Jesus is saying to him, he's the good shepherd, and his followers, the true believers, are sheep. Now, I think sheep get a bad reputation, right? They're, they're often called dumb animals. Well, I have seen sheep do some dumb things, but I've seen cows do dumb things, I've seen lots of animals do dumb things. But the fact of the matter is, he's saying this is the relationship he wants us to see. This is what it means to be a true believer. If you are a true, sincere believer in Jesus Christ, you will be like a sheep with Jesus as your shepherd. But now let's look at this picture a little more carefully. Let's look at the shepherd of the picture. The shepherd in the picture. Just in the section that we're looking at here. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, excuse me, and I know them, and they follow me. Two things we see about the shepherd here. We see something about his voice, and we see something about his heart. The shepherd is speaking to the sheep. They hear my voice. Now, he started this whole section. If you look back at verses 3 and 4, he starts this whole section by talking about how the shepherd uses his voice. He comes to the fold, the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, that is the, the, the voice of the true shepherd, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth his, all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. So he addresses each one, he calls out to them, Blackie, Fluffy, Spotty, and they all know to come. I'm not going to try to do an accent, so don't. Uh, I, just, I'll stick with my American accent. But he calls the sheep, and they come. They follow him, right? They know his voice. And knowing his voice, they know exactly who he is. If you're not one of his sheep, you don't hear the voice, they don't follow. But he's using his voice. He's calling his sheep. He's speaking to them. He wants them to hear his voice. But then we also learn something of the shepherd's heart in our verse. He says, I know them. I know them. And I say that has to do with the heart, and we'll see that in a moment. But we think about this phrase, to know. That's used by John and and the New Testament to talk about God's sovereign election, those whom he knows. He has sovereignly chosen from eternity past. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, The firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. From eternity, He has known those who are His. He's had an awareness of them. He has a specific, knows everything about them. In verse 16 of our chapter, it says this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Oh, He has some sovereign knowledge. There are sheep who are not of this fold. I know them. They're not here yet but they will be. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So to know, for the shepherd to know, speaks of something of his electing knowledge of them, his eternal sovereign election. 
But to know, often in the scriptures, speaks of intimate love. Intimate love. The shepherd says, I know my sheep. Not only have I known them from eternity past, but I have an intimate love for them. You know, the scriptures use this language, and I'll just, the one text that comes to mind is Genesis chapter 4, where it says that Adam knew his wife, and she conceived. Adam knew her again, and she gave birth to a son. There's no more intimate relationship, human relationship, than husband and wife coming together in that relationship as a married couple. And that's what Jesus is speaking. He says, I know them. He says, I have an intimate love for them. He said back in verse, in chapter 14, or excuse me, ahead in chapter 14, in verse 9, Jesus said to Philip, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? What's he saying? Philip, there should be an intimate awareness. We've walked together. We've, you've heard my teaching. You've been with me. You've seen what I've done. Do you not understand? Do you not know me? So Jesus is saying, when he says the shepherd knows his sheep, he says, I've always known you from eternity past, and I have an intimate, loving knowledge of you, and even a personal knowledge of you. For it says in verse 3, he knows them by name. He knows them by name. I preached this message in uh, Bradford-on-Avon uh, past Lord's Day, and I had met some of the folks, and I started calling out their names and different ones, and one lady in the front row said, don't forget, right? Because knowing their name, I said, okay, you're, and I called her name out as well. You know, just, it speaks of, of personal awareness, isn't it? When somebody actually remembers your name, comes to you and addresses you by name, it's, 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 it, it cheers the heart. They know me. They know me. Let me give you an illustration. If I were to say that I know Lionel Messi, now I know he's not the most recent popular football player, but he was at one time at the top of the list. of Lionel Messi, with all that he could do with the, the shuffling of his feet and keeping the, 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 the football away from others, just an amazing ability. And if I told you I know Lionel Messi, you'd say, oh yeah, all right. I know, his, I know his statistics too. I've watched the videos. I've looked it up. Oh, no, 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 I have, this, I have this football right here. See, he signed it. Oh, great, so you saw him at, a, at one of the pitches and he signed a, a ball for you. Oh, that's really great. No, 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 I really know him. And then there's a ticker tape parade going down through the center of Belfast. And we're all standing there on the side and, and he looks over and says, Hey, Bart! He knows me. He knows my name. He is aware of me. This is a personal, intimate, electing knowledge. The shepherd knows his sheep. This is part of what it is in the relationship between Jesus Christ and his true people. He speaks to them. We know it's through his word. He knows them from eternity past. He knows them intimately. He knows them personally. And he manifests it. Because Jesus here uses language that, that reflects a lot of what we hear in Psalm 23. He leads them and nourishes them. It says in verse 3, he leads them out. It says in verse 9 that they go in and out and find pasture. He is the door through which they pass. 
Just like the psalmist, as David wrote, leads the shepherd, leads him through quiet, by long quiet waters. He leads them into green pastures. He takes them even through the difficult valleys of the shadow of death. We read of his love for them by his his saying to them, I am committed to you to never leave you. I'm not like the hireling who's just paid to watch the sheep. You are my sheep and I will even stay with you even to the point of dying for you. I will lay lay down my life for you. Of course, we know when Jesus said that, it meant much more than just I'm willing to let the, the wolf you know, to die if I have to, kill it, you know, defending you from the wolf. He says, no, I'm actually going to die in your place where you deserve to be executed for sin and I will lay down my life for you. Jesus is the good shepherd of this picture whose voice we, we hear and whose love we see. But then we also need to look at the sheep, the sheep in this picture. And the sheep are also known by two things. They have ears and they have hoofs. So we're going to change that to feet because these are sheep that have two feet like they are us, right? So sheep in the picture, ears and feet. True Christians are those who believe. Look back with me at chapter 9, verses 35 and following. Uh, This whole section, whether we're reading from chapter 10 or from chapter 9 where this begins, is all about faith and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus heard that they put him out, the, man who, the blind man who had been healed, and finding him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world so that those who do not see may see and that those who, may become, those who see may become blind. You see, the whole issue here is, does this man believe? Is he believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? But belief in the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage as he goes to this picture is a faith which is manifested. It's not just, oh yes, an intellectual statement, I believe something, I know something, I assent to something, I commit myself. It's, it's actually shown in action. The true believer, we are like sheep who hear the good shepherd's voice. True sheep, true believers, hear the voice. And they accept what the shepherd says. When he says, I am the door, then they don't look for any other way through. He is the one who gives them the way. He is the way. When they hear his voice and he says, I am the good shepherd, then they look to him and say, this is the place of comfort. This is the one whom I am to follow. When they hear his voice and say, and he says, you are blind or you you love darkness rather than light. Your deeds are evil, and any, everyone who does evil hates the light. Then true sheep hear those words, and they say, you know what, that's exactly who I am, and I need to be enlightened. And they come to the Savior and trust in Him and look for that light from Him. 
They hear his voice when he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And the true sheep are the ones who hear his voice say, say that. And they recognize their sin before the true, true shepherd. And they humble themselves and cry out for forgiveness for their sins. They cry out saying, I don't want to perish. You alone can save me. They repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When the good shepherd says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The true sheep who are known by the shepherd from eternity past, the true sheep who are the ones who he has an intimate knowledge of, the true sheep whom he is calling by name, when they hear that, they say, I will come to him. I'll cast myself upon him. I'll recognize that I'm weighed down with my sin and I will look to him to deliver me from that. When they hear his voice saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. They come and they say, take my burden, let me walk under your yoke. And when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me, they hear his voice and they deny themselves I'm going to stop living for myself. I'm going to stop trying to do things all on my own. And I'm going to follow you. If that means taking up a cross and the persecution that comes with it and the shame that comes with it in order to be associated with you, I will be associated with you because you have said, take up your cross. I hear your voice. That's what true, true, sheeps, that's what true sheep do. But they're also known by their hooves. So they not only hear his voice, they don't just sit in churches or in pens somewhere. <laughs> pens and pews, kind of similar there, right? They don't just sit in pews somewhere and say, oh yeah, I heard that. I heard that. Oh, that was, that was a really nice verse. Oh yeah, I heard that. That was a really nice truth. But you see, they're also known by their hooves. For when he says, come unto me, they come. When he says, repent of my sin, when, they, when he says to repent, they Repent. They believe all that the scriptures have said about him. Whatever he has said about himself as being the one who has come to seek and to save those who are lost. They believe what he has said about him and they come to him. They repent of their sins. They turn to him and cry out for mercy. And then after they've heard those words of repentance and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. They go on repenting and go on believing, but then they listen to his voice as he says different things about how they ought to live their lives. And they don't grumble and they don't complain. When he says to the male sheep who's the head of the house, love your wife as Christ loved the church, they don't go, oh, well, you don't know my wife. She's a really, you know, this, she likes to bite this sheep. Or when, or when it says to wives, love, respect your husbands. So, well, you know, but you don't know my husband. He's wimpy. He doesn't know how to lead. Or he's a bully. He doesn't, he, he, so the scripture says respect. Jesus says, the shepherd says respect. The shepherd says submit. When he calls us to a life of holiness, and to run with endurance the race that is set before us, and to to put aside anything that would entangle us. When the shepherd says that to his sheep, the sheep says, oh, I, I hear that. Okay, what do I need to get rid of? 
What do I need to disentangle myself from so that I might run the race with endurance? When he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, it isn't just a nice motto we put on. The sheep doesn't say, oh, I'll put that on the pen wall. That'll be really nice. No, no, he says, well, wait a minute. I've got to think about that. Am I seeking first the kingdom of God? That is, am I seeking to live as one of the subjects in his kingdom? Am I pursuing the righteousness which he lays out in his Ten Commandments so I'm going to govern my tongue and not tell, the tr- not tell lies and I'm going to govern my heart and I'm not going to covet and I'm going to govern my heart and I'm not going to lust and I'm not going to steal and I'm going to obey my parents? Oh, little sheeps, little sheeps, if you're truly a sheep of Jesus Christ and you're following him, it's not just because you've been baptized with water on your head. You will obey your parents. You will honor your parents. That's how sheep act. We'll have no other gods before him. We'll remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You see, all these things, this is what it means to be a sheep. David could say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. And God could say of David with confidence, he is a man after my own heart. Can you say with confidence, Jesus is my good shepherd? Do your ears and your feet confirm that you are a true sheep? Have you heard his voice, seen your sin, repented of your sin, believed on the Lord, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in him to save you alone? Are you denying yourself and following him? You know, we all like these kinds of passages when we need comfort, don't we? We need comforters in this world, and especially in the dark times and the difficult times. But you see, this is comfort that's specifically for those who are God's sheep, who are Christ's sheep, who hear his voice and follow him. And if you are following him, then you have the confidence that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will walk with you. He knows you. He loves you. But I must hurry because I now come to point number two. The gift of true salvation. Verse 28a. But I give eternal life, and I give eternal life to them. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The gift of life is a wonderful thing. I loved all my, you know, when, the, when my children came into the world and you get to see them take that first breath and you get to watch them. But now on a whole different level, I get to watch my children's children come into the world and get to learn the world. And being a grandparent is absolutely amazing. That gift of life that my daughters have given to these little ones is absolutely phenomenal. What a wonderful thing. When life is given to one as they come into this world. Well, Jesus speaks of of that, but not in a a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. For in Jesus, we read in John 1, for in him was life. That is, in the word, in Jesus. In order to come to Jesus, he must give us life. And if you are a sheep, you are a sheep because he gave you life. Remember what John wrote back at the beginning of his gospel. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, doesn't just follow through family lines, 
nor of the will of flesh. No family decision could be made. Great, great, great grandpa couldn't decide for you that you were going to be a Christian, that you were going to be a follower. Nor of the will of man. No human choice is ultimately what gives us life, but of God. God is the one who gives life. It is the Father who gives sheep to the shepherd. The gift of life is given. But there's another way we can think about giving life, isn't it? It's not just giving birth. But when we're facing death, when we're facing the difficulties of death, when we're facing, say, a life-threatening condition, and the doctor comes in and says, the treatment has been effective, the surgery has been successful, you will live. It's another way we can speak about being given the gift of life. Or when the death sentence has been pronounced and the judge comes in and says, you've been pardoned. You will be allowed to live the gift of life. Well, in these ways, the Lord Jesus Christ gives life. He gives that life, which is that regeneration, right, in the effectual call, yes. He gives us life, but he also gives us life in these ways, by delivering us from the effects of sin, by pardoning us through the death of Christ. But what I really want you to see here is, is, is the comfort that comes in these words when he says, I give eternal life to them. The life that Jesus gives is not just a temporary life. A little bit of life now. But it's a life, it's a gift of life which will never perish. You all know the verse, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but has everlasting life. The sad thing is, every one of us coming into this world through the gift of life is going to die. That's, that's, a, that's a hard fact. But the life that Jesus is promising to each one of his sheep is a life which will go on forever. We will never perish. Meaning we won't come into condemnation. John 5 and verse 24 Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into condemnation, but is passed out of death into life. We won't face execution for our sins. And it's a life which will go on forever, over and over in John's gospel. He will live forever. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He will never see death. Or as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Excuse me, it says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And it's not just a bare existence forever. Well, John 10.10 tells us he gives us life in abundance. An abundant life. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to give us a life filled with lots of wealth and health and pleasures of, from this world, but it's a life free from guilt. Wouldn't that be a wonderful life to have? Isn't that a wonderful life to have, I should say? A life free from guilt. That is, 
Our guilt has been taken by the Son of God upon the cross. Our crimes against God have already been punished. There is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. It's a life empowered by the Spirit because He has taken up residence in us. It's a life filled with direction because He has sought those who were lost. He has saved those who are lost. And He leads us in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. This abundant life is a life filled with the joy of the Lord because He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. But I think the most rich part, and this is something that Pastor Peel already made reference to, and that is that it's a life of communion with God. The abundant life is a life of the privilege of communing with the true and living God, with the, with the good shepherd and with his Father forever. John says that's why he took the gospel that he had the things that he had seen and the things that he had heard and he, and he shared it with, with those around him that they might have fellowship with him and indeed their fellowship was with the Father and with the Son. These things he wrote in 1 John 1 so that their joy might be made complete. If Jesus is our shepherd, if we're true believers, the gift is a gift of eternal life. Not just temporary life, not just a bare existence, but an eternal life filled with abundant blessings. Or as Psalm 23 says, the hope and prospect of a table that is set before us in the presence of our enemies and a time when there will be the anointing of our head with oil so that our cup overflows and dwelling in his house forever with the Father, with his Son. Surely goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives, but there's a day coming we will sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the salvation that he gives. It is salvation indeed. It is salvation which is gracious, which he graciously gives a never-ending abundant life to all his sheep. David, looking at the shadows, could say, The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I know I will dwell in the house of his house forever. That was the confidence he had. Well, we know the good shepherd. Do we have the same kind of confidence? Jesus is my good shepherd, therefore I know, regardless of how rough and rocky the road might be, however painful the life might be, the difficulties I might face, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And until I get there, his two sheepdogs will track me down. The goodness and mercy of God will keep me and guide me. This is the gift. The gift of true salvation. But thirdly, the assurance of true security. And here we come back to our story, the children's message. He says in verse 28b, And no one will snatch them out of my hand. See, the shepherd doesn't just call them and then say, come along. He says, as though he grabs them by the hand. He says, oh, no, come with me. No one will snatch them out of the Savior's hand. No one can, can snatch us from him. Oh, so many verses that speak of those hands, those hands that healed the leper, those hands that healed the blind man, those hands that chased away fever, those hands that were stretched out and nailed to the cross are the hands that lay hold of his sheep 
and hold on to them. But he goes on and says, it's not just my hands that will hold on to them. He says in verse 29 that my Father's hands will hold on to you. The true believer in Jesus Christ is held by the shepherd and is held by the shepherd's Father. Those hands. That's the heavens. The span of God's hand. There's all the oceans in His hand. If that hand has a hold of you, who's going to snatch them out? He says, look at this. He says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Greater than everything and everyone. No enemy can overcome Him and snatch me from His hands. No falling of my own sin can ultimately cast me headlong because there's no condemnation. I'm held by the shepherd's hand. I will return in repentance and faith. Nothing can snatch me from the Father's hand. He will keep me. This is the security that we have. For those who have gone before, who are in Christ, they're still being kept by the Father, still kept by the shepherd. And as we face that great enemy death, we'll be kept by the shepherd and kept by the Father. All the enemies that we have in this world cannot snatch us from the Father's hand. There's the assurance of true security. It's not how great you are, how strong you are, how persevering you are that's ultimately going to keep you. Oh yes, we cling to him, but more importantly, he clings to us. This is our confidence. Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd? I'm confident he won't let go. I'm confident that he will keep me. How certain are we that he does that for us? He laid down his life for us. He took it up again for us. He sits at the right hand of God for us. Who can snatch us from the shepherd's hand? But then there's even another layer to all of this. It's found in verse 30. Who can make such promises? Who does Jesus think he is? God? Exactly. It's exactly who he is. Verse 30. I and the Father are one. And this is no mere we have the same purpose, we have the same thoughts, we have the same... No. I am God. And how do I know that that's what he's saying? Because he says in the very next verse, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. They'd done this before, and now they're doing it again. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Oh, you know, excuse me, I'm sorry, Jews, you've got me wrong here. I didn't mean to say that I was God. You see, that's all he had to say. But he doesn't say that. Jesus makes it even clearer. He goes on and says, Has it not been written in your laws? It's not proof from your own word that I am who I am. And my works show who I am. And my words show who I am. I've made it very clear to you. No, Jesus doesn't back down when they think he's God. He says, you're right. Before Abraham was, he said in a different passage, I am. I am, ego me, the good shepherd. I am, ego me, the door. I am. I am the I am. 
Jesus is saying. Now there's a guarantee. Because he is God, his words are absolutely certain. Brethren, these are, these are truths which are not just meant for plaques on our walls. These are truths which are not just meant for our theological um, challenges or you know, puzzles to work out. These are words which are meant to give us comfort and confidence and to encourage us that we can trust in Jesus Christ and rest in him and find comfort in him and find strength in him and know that we will persevere to the end because he is preserving us to the end. He purchased our salvation with his own blood and he's committed to keeping that for which he died. This is our confidence. This is our comfort. This is our encouragement. These these words are meant to help us through the difficult times. To go back and say, the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, is my good shepherd. I shall lack nothing. Why do I lack nothing? Because I have Jesus. He will bring me into green pastures and beside still waters. He will lead me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He will be there in the valley of the shadow of death. And I need fear no evil. Nothing can snatch us from his hand or from the Father's hand. And it's the word of the living God that has said this. Do you have that confidence? May God give us that confidence as we read such words. But my unbelieving friend, did you notice? The believer will never perish. That means that there is the possibility of perishing. And without the Savior holding you, you will perish. Without the Savior dying for you, you will suffer. Go to the Savior today. You're hearing his voice. Hear it with the depths of your heart. Believe upon him. Repent of your sins and go to him. And know what it is to be kept by him and have the gift of eternal life. I offer it to you on the authority of God himself. He bought it with, Christ bought it with his own blood. He sealed the promise. Believe on him and you will be saved. My friends, may we as his sheep hear his voice and know that he knows us and follow him. And may we have that confidence throughout life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would write your word upon our hearts, that we would know these truths, that they would comfort our hearts and strengthen us to follow after you all the days of our lives. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.